Insurance and Injury Law Show. Back at it. one 990 is the number. Email anytime. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots of uh, questions and emails to cover off on the show today, but I know you got uh, a trifecta of things you want to bring about first, uh, Savant, so, uh, so we'll get into it. What do you got going on? All right, John. Well, let's get into it, uh, starting with an email I received from a gentleman, and this was a few days ago, and here's what he wrote. I'm going to... Uh, uh, n- not mention everything. He's mentioning a few names there of, of a law firm and an insurance company. I'm not going to mention those, but he, he, here's the basic email he wrote me. Uh, he said that uh, my wife was in a car accident back in October 2014. Uh, she had been uh, played around uh, by several insurance companies mm-hmm. and uh, nothing's been happening and I'd like to speak with you. And he gave me his cell number. And of course, I wrote him back saying, well, if the accident happened in October 2014, we are now you know, the latter part of 2018, that's four years later, limitation period is two years in Ontario, I can't really help you. So he responds back saying, well, you know, she actually went with another law firm. And uh, so here's here's what he writes, uh, instead of me paraphrasing, he says, hi, Sivan, she did start a lawsuit. The insurance company was acting for both sides. Mm. They sent her for many assessments and kept stalling. She hired, and then he puts in the name of the um, law firm. Uh, and if I said the name, many listeners would be very familiar with that name. It's it's heavily advertised. And he says, that was before I listened to your show. My wife has gone through at least three lawyers through that firm. I believe it was incompetence of the lawyers that dragged the claim for so long. My wife was under duress with lots of issues. They put her through the ringer. In April of May of this year, they wanted to send her for more assessments. She could not cope anymore so she settled and told them that it was under duress. Is there anything that we can do? I appreciate you taking the time. So, you know, this is not the first time, obviously, that I get these kinds of requests and emails, people who have listened to the show, but unfortunately have already hired other lawyers. And listen, I'm not saying that myself or, or Lior, my partner, or other lawyers in my firm, that we are the best that there is and there is no one else. There are very competent lawyers out there who do exactly what we do. Unfortunately, just like with any other profession, there are also lawyers who are not necessarily doing everything by the book. And, you know, that raises the, the point, the main point I want to bring here, which is that if you are injured in an accident or if you have, you know, a long-term disability claim that's been denied, you've been cut off, you have to do your homework or at least get someone who can help you with that, a family member, a friend, someone who can do, you know, the homework for you to figure out who is the best lawyer, who is the best law firm you should go with. And of course, you know, we tell people, give us a call. You have nothing to lose. We're going to have a chat about your case. We're going to tell you again, this is all for free. We're not going to charge a dime for this. Tell you what your options are. But in this particular case, unfortunately, my response to this gentleman was, if she settled her case, there's nothing we can do about it. And you know, John, I've had people come to me after listening to the show and saying, well, you know, I settled, but it was under duress, in quotes, duress. Well, you know, there is a concept of duress in the law, but to undo a settlement that you have signed, it takes a lot. And and it's a very rare exception where the courts actually allow a a litigant, a plaintiff, a claimant to undo a a settlement that they've reached with the other side. And, And the reason for that actually makes a lot of sense because they want certainty to these cases. If you enter into a binding settlement, they don't want everyone to simply, you know, have uh, buyer's remorse afterwards and undo a settlement. They want consistency and they want, you know, to have some kind of a way of ensuring that these agreements are actually upheld. And because this uh, lady was represented by a lawyer, 
perhaps not the best lawyer, perhaps not the best law firm. She did have a lawyer. She entered into the settlement. They cannot, they cannot undo it. So it is what it is. Uh, so, so, you know, if you're in that situation out there where you, you have entered the settlement, unfortunately, I cannot help you. However, however, if you're in a situation where you haven't entered the settlement yet and you want to have a chat, I'm more than happy to, to have a chat with you. I'm not going to tell you to switch lawyers just because you're unhappy with your lawyer. Again, I encourage people out there that if you're in a situation where you've been injured or a family member has been injured or you've been cut off disability, do your homework at the beginning. Don't wait four years, five years, six years, and then down the road, figure out that, well, maybe things are not going so well. My lawyer is not getting back to me or they're pressuring me to settle. That should never happen. Do your homework at the beginning uh, or give us a call or email us and we'll have that conversation. And then you can at least know what your legal options are and then proceed from there. That phone number, by the way, one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six, or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Keep those start there. Don't make any mistakes. What else you got going on? Uh, we, we had a uh, question posted to one of our websites that we talk about frequently, mydisabilityquestions.com. And this one came from Eddie in Milton. And here's what he writes. It's very short. He writes, can my employer fire me while I'm on LTD? Very good question. And again, many people who are on disability also experience pressure from their employers, right? Employers out there, they want their employees to come back to work, or at least they want to have, uh, uh, you know, the relationship severed in some way. So it's very important to understand, can your employer fire you when you're on LTD, when you're under disability? Well, they can do that, but that's a breach of of your human rights code. uh, Sorry, of, of the human rights code, of your human rights. And, and, you know, we have lawyers at our firm that deal with these issues on a daily basis. And so, again, I tell people out there, if you have a disability issue, but you're also facing issues with your employer, we have lawyers that specifically deal both with disability as well as employment. And why is that important? Because both of these areas of law are, are intertwined in many ways. And, and so if, if you end up getting severance or end up getting human rights damages as against your employer for letting you go while you're on disability, that can affect your long-term disability claim. Very important that you get that information and very important that you get the same lawyers, I think, in the same law firm who can communicate with each other to make sure that whatever action they take against the employer or against the LTD insurer, that those are done in coordination so that you don't lose out any money And again, what is the goal here? To make sure that we put as much money in your pocket as possible. 1-888-990-9646 or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to the injury calculator. And I know you got a couple more things to uh, to talk about, Savan, and we'll get into your emails as well. Lots more of the insurance and injury law show just ahead. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1-888-990-9646 or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Some of your emails are coming right up, so stand by for that. But you have one more thing you want to talk about first, Savan. Go for it. Okay, so John, this is a disability case. So this gentleman contacted us because he was was on disability uh, from April 21st, 2017 until April 21st of 2018. He was on LTD, long-term disability. Now, get this, John. Back in 1983, this person was hit by a truck. Both his legs and his arms apparently were, were either severed or almost severed. It was an ext- it was a catastrophic type of, a, of an injury. But apparently they were able to put him back together. I, I, I have no idea. Again, I don't have all the details here, but it was a very, very serious accident. Uh, and he had uh, back surgery, a whole bunch of other surgeries, uh, and his limbs effectively were reconnected. The guy's a 58-year-old uh, sales manager making almost six figures. And he's got a whole bunch of doctors, including a psychologist, as you can imagine. 
And all of them are saying that he can't work. Now, presumably, what's happened here is that uh, even though the accident happened back, you know, several decades ago, because of these injuries, he was getting worse and worse and worse. And at some point, he had to go on disability, which is which is something that does happen, right? I mean, people have injuries, and then there is a progression of those injuries and disabilities, and eventually they go on short-term disability and then long-term disability. Anyways, so he gets denied in April of this year. Uh, he gets cut off, LTD. This is despite his doctor saying that he cannot work. There's just no way he can go back to work. So what does he do, which is what most people do? He, he appeals the decision. And right. no, they reject him, as you can imagine. They reject him. And of course, what does he do? Remember, that rejection letter comes neatly you know, in an envelope. And, and, and the last paragraph of the letter, of course, invites you to appeal again, even though they just rejected you. And so what does he do? He appeals again. And again, he gets oh, denied. And what does he do then? He appeals a third time. John, can you imagine that? All three times he denies. This guy's on, on, on unemployment insurance. He essentially has very little, if no money, coming in. And he doesn't know what to do. And we're talking about somebody who is severely injured by all objective standards. And, and you know, and by the way, the insurance company, I'm not going to mention them, but they're very well known for rejecting a lot of legitimate claims. You know, this is a classic case, again, of a person who is putting his trust and his faith in this insurance company. This insurance company is supposed to be taking care of him, right? It's supposed to be giving him peace of mind with these disability benefits until he can get back on his feet. And what happens? You know, they pull the rug from right underneath him. And what does he do? Again, he takes them on, on, on you know, he, he, he appeals a decision. He appeals a decision. He appeals it again and again and again. And, and I see this a lot with people who, you know, they, they don't listen to what I'm saying. They don't listen to what James is saying when he's here in the studio with me and we're talking about these issues. People need to understand that, you know, when you are, when you are rejected from long-term disability, when you are cut off long-term disability, you should be talking to us immediately. In fact, you should be talking to us not even when you're cut off, but when the insurance company tells you, you're going to get cut off because usually they give you a heads up. Don't wait until that happens. And don't simply try and appeal and reappeal the decision and giving the insurance company more medical documents. Now, I'm not going to tell you that these appeals never, ever work. But I'm also never going to tell you that playing the lottery never results in a winner. Of course it does. Yeah, no kidding. But it's one in how many, right? So you have to be very careful because, you know, this is one of the tactics insurance companies use they reject these 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 appeals that you're making and and the clock keeps running and and remember you only have 2 years from the date you were first denied or cut off LTD to start a legal claim and that's what we do we don't go through the appeals process we take the power out of the hands of the insurance company by starting a legal claim by going through the court system and what does that do it places tremendous amount of pressure on the insurance company. And that's why they end up coming to the table seeking to resolve the dispute. Because they know if they don't, we're going to take it all the way. And we've done that. We'll take it all the way and we will have a judge determine the outcome. And insurance companies are not interested in that. They're not in the business of fighting these claims. So if you're in that situation or if you know someone in that situation, don't simply let them appeal those cutoffs. Give us a call, email us. Let's have that conversation again. It will cost nothing for you to speak with me or my team. And we're going to give you all your legal options and then you can decide how you want to proceed. 
I think we got enough time to squeeze an email in here as we uh, continue on this one. Mike, first up on the show today, says my friend's wife was told that her long-term disability benefits would be cut off on September 30th because she isn't following the recommendations of the insurance doctor that saw her for an assessment two months ago. My understanding is that she's being followed and treated by uh, very competent doctors for her illness, and she chose to follow their recommendations rather than the ones made by the insurance doctor. Can she do anything to stop the insurer from cutting her off? Well, first of all, it's a great thing, again, Mike, that you're contacting us on behalf of your friend's wife, you know, ahead of the cutoff date. You're saying she's going to get cut off September 30th. Well, we have some time now to intervene, to try and put pressure on the insurance company and avoid the cutoff date because that's the worst thing that can happen is for these people to find themselves suddenly with no money coming in. How are they going to pay the mortgage? How are they going to pay for kids' activities, etc.? Now, to answer the question, can she do anything to stop the insurer from cutting her off? Technically speaking, no, she can't. But what she can do is position Uh, the case in such a way as to make it very unappetizing for the insurance company to take that step. And how does she do that? Well, right now they're trying to figure out the insurance company how to cut her off. And they've come up with this excuse that she's not following the recommendations made by the insurance doctor. Well, what I would do or what I would tell this lady to do is I would have her give those recommendations, the report that the insurance doctor created to her own treating physicians and have them comment on those recommendations. Ultimately, if her treating doctors reject the recommendations of the insurance doctor, no judge in the world is going to blame this lady for following the treatment recommendations of her own doctors, the people who've been treating her for months, if not years. That's how you fight fire with fire. You don't simply say, oh, well, the insurance company is now saying they're going to cut me off, so there's nothing I can do. No, there is something you can do. And you know, John, that's just one tactic that we employ to counter the insurance company's efforts to unjustly cut these people off disability. And I say unjustly, and I bold that, and I underline that, because it's simply unjust for the insurance company to take this position when you have this lady who's doing everything that her own doctors are saying, and yet because the insurance doctor who possibly saw her just once is saying she should do something else, suddenly there's an expectation by the insurance company that she, she, she should just ignore whatever her doctors are saying. That's completely unfair. It makes no sense. Trust me when I tell you that if she does what I'm going to tell her that she should do, the insurance company is either going to not cut her off on September 30th, or if they do, they're going to end up coming to the negotiating table to try and see how they can undo the mess that they're about to do. Got some questions about uh, disabled people going for treatments and that like, and of course, more emails as well. Laura, yours is up next. You want to send one in, you have time. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Anytime you want a phone call when the show's not on, uh, get a hold of Savannah, a member of his team. It is 1-888-990-9646. Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1-888-990-9646. 646 is the number you want to write down. Email is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. We'll get to another email here uh, in just a few minutes. Question though, how often should a disabled person be going for treatments? I mean, is there a rule of thumb? Can the insurance company say that because you know, you missed a couple of appointments, you'll be cut off disability? I could see them doing something like that. Yeah, and I can see that too. And remember, this is on the same in the same vein as, as everything else I've, I've talked about. The insurance company, insurance companies in general, are there to make money. And one of the ways to make money is by not paying people what people should be paid under the policy. Well, they need a reason for that. So they're going to latch on to any reason you possibly can give them. And if you miss a couple of appointments, even if you have legitimate excuses or reasons for why you missed those appointments, 
they may use that against you. Not every time, but sometimes they will latch on to those. So don't give them those excuses or, you know, to the extent that you haven't been able to go to your doctor or you've missed appointments, make sure that there is a record in writing from your doctor, from yourself to the adjuster explaining exactly what happened. Again, the more things are in writing in terms of the communication that you have between yourself or your doctors and the insurance adjuster, the stronger your case is, presumably, because I'm assuming here that there is a reason why you missed those appointments. In terms of a rule of thumb, in terms of how frequently you should have treatments, well, you know, there is no actual rule of thumb, but use common sense. If you're the insurance company, put yourself in the position of the adjuster that's dealing with your claim. If you are dealing, John, with, uh, with, with a disabled individual who says that they have back pain or they have depression, whatever it is they have, and you see from their file that they haven't seen anyone for treatments in over a year, what are you going to think? You're going to think that either they don't need anyone to help them or that they have no issues, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whichever conclusion you reach, the, the resulting conclusion beyond that is that the person should have no problem going back to work. Hence, they should not be on disability, so we will cut them off. So you don't want to be in a situation where if you really should be getting treatments, that you're not getting treatments. You have to be very careful of that. What does that mean? Does that mean you have to go every day for treatments? No, it doesn't mean that. It means, though, that you have to show that, you know, you've been seeking treatments, you've been getting treatments, and, and you know, if you, have, if you have a certain injury or a certain illness that requires a specialist, it's not enough for you to simply go to your family doctor who's a general practitioner. Even if the family doctor is not referring you out to a psychologist or psychiatrist or a chronic pain doctor for your pain, you should take the initiative and ask for those referrals. Again, see it from the position of the insurance company as well, right? I mean, I keep harping on how insurance companies do everything that they can to cut people off. But listen, sometimes, you know, again, I'm looking at this from when I was... uh, uh, a lawyer working for insurance companies, sometimes I, I would look at files and I'm thinking to myself, well, this person hasn't sought any treatments for months and months and months, if not years. How can they possibly be arguing that they're still in pain or that they're still disabled if, if they're themselves not doing what they need to do in order to get better? So, you know, you have to understand that there is this, this interplay between your obligations to the insurance company and their obligations to you. And you do have an obligation to ensure that you continue getting the treatments that you need in order to get better. It's, it's called mitigation, right? You have to mitigate under the law. You have to try and get better. If you don't, the law is going to look at it and say, look at you and say, well, you haven't mitigated, so that's not the insurance company's fault. And they have a reason for cutting you off. You don't want to be in that position. Get to that email from Laura, writes in, uh, by the way, it's help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Laura says, my husband's struggling with depression and PTSD. He's a police officer, and a few years ago, he was involved in an accident where he was shot. He survived, luckily, uh, but he started having recurring nightmares uh, and started seeing a psychologist regularly. He went off disability and eventually applied for LTD and was accepted. He's now approaching the 24-month mark, and the insurance company said that he won't qualify for more benefits because he can do another job, but everyone, including his psychologist, says that there's no way he can do anything else at this point. What do we do? Wow, that's that's a classic, classic case yeah. uh, of an insurance company really misusing that 24-month or two-year mark in LTD policy provisions. Uh, so let's let's backtrack a bit, John, just for listeners out there who haven't heard me say this before. In LTD policies and disability policies out there, uh, the the 
policies that we generally see for long-term disability distinguish a disability, a total disability, within the first two years of the person being on disability and beyond the two-year mark. So to get LTD, the criteria, the eligibility criteria for, for being deemed totally disabled from working is not that you are you know, in, in, in a coma-type state, but rather that you cannot do your job. You cannot do your own occupation. It's called the own occupation test. You cannot do your occupation, therefore you are deemed to be totally disabled. And you need, of course, medical documentation, medical proof, medical support uh, to say that you are unable to do your job. Mm -hmm. Beyond the two-year mark, the question then becomes, can you do any other job, any other occupation for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience? Now, this gentleman uh, that uh, Laura is writing us about, her husband, you know, we're talking about, uh, a, you know, somebody who's obviously a public servant, someone who's dedicated, somebody who unfortunately was in a, a, a very uh, tragic and, and horrific accident right. and developed a psychological illness, a recognized psychological disability, PTSD. Insurance companies, unfortunately, are still sort of in the stone age thinking about these kinds of things. They still seem to think that, you know, if you have a psychological issue, that should not prevent you from going back to work in some capacity. Not understanding that psychological illnesses and disabilities can oftentimes be more debilitating than physical ones. Physically, maybe I can't move my hand, but psychologically, if I can't get, you know, if I can't get out of bed, if I'm having recurring nightmares, I'm not sleeping, I'm anxious all the time, I'm going to be no good for no one in any capacity, in any job. And we see this a lot with soldiers. We see this a lot with firefighters, you know, with a lot of people who've experienced traumatic type of events, uh, types of events. And, you know, it's not difficult to resolve these kinds of cases with insurance companies because, you know, as soon as we start a legal claim against the insurance company in a case like this, invariably, I get a defense lawyer who was just assigned by the insurance company to defend against the, against the claim that we just issued. And the defense lawyer calls me up and says, you know, Sivan, I read the claim. I don't know what the previous adjuster was doing. Mm -hmm. Do you want to have a chat about somehow resolving this case? And of course, then I go back to my client and I tell them that. And of course, my clients are very upset because why did they put us, you know, through this in the first place? Why did they cut my husband off? Why did they cut off my, my wife of disability? If as soon as you got involved, suddenly they're coming to the table. Well, again, because insurance companies... That's their DNA. That's how they're structured. They are structured from a business standpoint uh, to make money. And one of the ways they make money is finding any excuse to cut you off, even if it is illegitimate. They will say it's legitimate. I'm arguing it's illegitimate, certainly in Laura's husband's case. So again, what is the lesson here? You make sure that you give us a call or you email us. It does not take us a long time to assess whether or not you have a legitimate claim against the insurance company. And don't think that just because you're dealing with this huge billion-dollar entity that they're not going to bow down to the law and pay what you are owed because they will, and they do this all the time. I'm telling you, all the time, day in and day out, insurance companies across this country pay out legitimate claims. So don't be one of those people who simply walks away from money that is rightfully owed to you. I want to get into the uh, term that insurance companies love, and that would be a pre-existing condition, but we'll get to that after we uh, get to a short break here. Number to get a hold of Savannah and the team, anytime, one 990 9646 Email us, help at We'll get to more of those as well. After a, a quick break here, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. The number anytime is one 990 or help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to find out what your pain and suffering of a, a 
claim should be. We'll get to this a little later on, but in the meantime, you can check out injurycalculator.ca as well. So, persons disabled due to uh, you know several illnesses, but one of them, possibly one of them, is pre-existing condition. Can the insurance company, or maybe I should say, will the insurance company, uh, deny the claim just because one of the causes is pre-existing? That's a fascinating question, and it's fascinating because this delves into the technical arguments that we sometimes make against insurance company denials. Now remember, again, going back to basics, your relationship with your insurance company is governed by the insurance policy uh, that uh, that they're paying you under. And the insurance policy uh, that they're paying you under contains certain provisions, and a lot of them contain pre-existing clause provisions. And what do these clauses say in one way or another? They say that if you become disabled as a result of a pre-existing issue, something that you had, uh, a problem that you had, a disability or an illness, or something that you had before we gave you this policy, well, you know, we're not going to cover you for that. The problem is that in many instances, you have a situation where somebody becomes disabled, not necessarily from the particular condition, but because of a whole set of circumstances. So you may get a heart attack as an example, not necessarily because you have high blood pressure, but because you have other conditions as well. Everything together, unfortunately, led you to be getting this heart attack. But now the insurance company is saying, hold on for a second, you're not disabled because of the heart attack, you're disabled because of that high blood pressure that you had before you know, we gave you the policy of insurance. Well, how do you fight that kind of an argument? Because you know, if you did have high blood pressure before you got the policy, well, then you can't argue you didn't have that. Yeah. Here's where sort of the ingenuity, I would say, or the art of lawyering comes into place. We look at the policy, we look at the provisions of the policy, the actual wording of the exclusion clauses. And why do we do that? Because there is a principle in contract law and specifically in insurance law that says that if you have an exclusion clause, and that exclusion clause can be interpreted in more than one reasonable way, okay? In other words, let's say that the exclusion clause is not exactly uh, uh, clear as to whether or not it applies to your case. And if you can make that argument, again, it's very important to understand, if you can, if you can make that argument, then invariably a court has to decide in favor of the insured individual. In other words, if there is an ambiguity in an exclusion clause, the ambiguity has to be interpreted against the insurance company. Now, that's a very technical argument, and I can tell you that I've made that argument quite a few times. Sometimes my clients were on more shaky ground. Sometimes my client had uh, my clients had you know excellent arguments on that front. What's my goal? My goal is to create exposure on the insurance company. My goal is to be able to show the insurance company that if I was to take this all the way to court, that there is a chance there is a good chance that a judge would rule in favor of my client. If I'm able to make that argument with a straight face, and if I have a leg to stand on in making that argument, I can tell you almost without fail that the insurance company will pay up. They may not pay up 100 cents on the dollar, right? Because there's still a chance that we may not be successful. Mm -hmm. But I've done my job in making sure that I've protected my client and put money in their pocket, which I think they deserve, I think that the insurance company should not have taken uh, the position that they did. So, you know, to, to boil this down to, to more of a, of a simple concept here, when an insurance company denies your claim because of what they say is a pre-existing condition, don't simply assume that because the pre-existing condition they are latching onto, 
don't, don't assume that because you've had that before you entered the policy that now your entire policy is invalidated. There are many ways to skin a cat in there, and we have to look at your specific circumstances, and we have to look at your specific policy to figure out if the insurance company you know, has a legitimate ground to deny your claim on the basis of a pre-existing condition. Because I can tell you, more often than not, in the cases I've handled, I've been able to get the insurance company to pay my clients. Injurycalculator.ca. Give me some details on this because I know it's been used a ton of times since uh, since you created. Literally thousands of times and across the country, John. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know it, what that is is it's it's a it's a free online tool. It takes literally 15, 20 seconds for anyone to use, and the concept is very simple. People who are in an accident, whether it's a car accident or a slip and fall, they've been injured, different kinds of injuries, back injury, head injury, whatever injury. You want to know, does it make sense for me to start a legal claim? What can I be looking at in terms of compensation for my pain and suffering? I don't want to call a lawyer. I don't want to have to email a lawyer. You know, maybe I'll Google some, some of you know, the, these questions that I have. The problem with Google, obviously, is that you're not always going to get the most accurate answers out there. So what we did is we looked at cases from across Canada where people have had similar injuries to the kind of injury that you may have experienced in your accident, and we've inputted them into this database. And so when you go on this calculator and you put in a few key pieces of information, what kind of injury did you have? What was the cause of the injury? Uh, you know, if you, have a, if you had a fracture to your ankle, for example, did you have, uh, did you have surgery done on it? Just very, very simple drop-down menus. Once you enter that information, the calculator scans through the information we've given it and tells you at the end what is the range of, of, of pain and suffering damages, the dollar value you could potentially be looking at as compensation. But remember, it's only for pain and suffering because maybe you had an ankle injury or a hip injury or a shoulder injury, but maybe that is not you know the end of the story. It's not just the injury that, that you've suffered because of that injury, now you can't work. Or maybe now you've had to have uh, modifications to your home because, you know, you simply can't walk properly onto the staircase. So you need to have something put in there. So this is why when you use that calculator and you get the result at the end, you can click on the consultation button and it, it connects with us directly. And then we can chat with you about your specific case. And again, it's a free consultation. We tell you what you look, what you can look at in terms of, of not just pain and suffering damages, which you've gotten already from the calculator, but also right. other types of, of damages that we could be seeking for you for your injury. It's a good starting point, a good springboard. Uh, check it out, injurycalculator.ca. Then follow up with a uh, with a phone call. It's one 990 And there's always email, which we'll get to after our break here. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. This is the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's right here. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. The Insurance and Injury Law Show. We get to a ton of emails each week here, and Savan answers them all. You want to send one, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. There's always a phone call. Still works. one 990 Norm, next up, says, Last year my son was physically attacked at work by a customer with a knife, and that left him not only injured but also suffering from PTSD. To date, he hasn't been able to go back to work. He has a therapist and a psychologist at the same clinic, and they're both working with him once a week. He's afraid of leaving the house and just lays in bed most days. He, he got short-term disability from his employer, but then the LTD Disability Insurance Company denied his claim because they don't believe that he can't go back to work, despite both his therapist and his psychologist saying that he is not well and cannot work. Can you help him with the insurance company? He's, he's all but given up, and I'm afraid that he'll eventually become suicidal. 
Yes, and Norm, I'm, I'm very sorry for what your son has gone through. Uh, you know, this reminds me again of the email that uh, we had dealt with just a few segments ago from Laura, uh, whose husband uh, is a police officer, uh, officer that was involved in that shooting incident. Uh, Norm, I can tell you right now, without it, without even having looked at the denial letter and the policy, that we can help your son. I mean, if the insurance company is essentially hanging their hat in terms of the denial of the claim on the fact that they they think that he can go back to work despite what his therapists are saying, what your son therapists are saying, I can tell you I have seen this time and time again. John, these insurance adjusters, some of them, not all of them, but some of them are insane as far as I'm concerned. Some of them take these ludicrous positions. Yeah. I don't know if they have a quota that they have to fill, I, you know, that they have to meet. I, they get bonuses on this. I have no idea. I don't know. I can't explain how irrational some of these decisions by insurance companies are. And look what they do to these families. I mean, they're tearing people apart. I mean, Norm is telling us about his son who is, he's afraid he's going to become suicidal. I mean, holy cow. You know, in these kinds of situations, I mean, in, in, in quite often in the claims that we start, the legal claims we start, in addition to the claim for the the policy amounts that we think are payable to our clients, we also seek extra contractual damages, meaning we ask for pain and suffering damages for the fact that the insurance company has done what it's done. We ask for aggravated damages. We ask for punitive damages, which are punishment for the insurance company. You know, we, we go after everything that the insurance company could potentially be liable for, especially in cases like this, where it is so clear cut, just based on the information that we are given and what we see, you know, that the insurance company should not have done what they've done. And, and you know, John, I've had cases where we've started a legal claim and, and throughout the process, we've received the entire file for our client from the insurance company. So we're talking about the notes and the reports, the internal memoranda from the adjuster who was handling the file. And after reviewing some of the stuff that we've seen from the insurance company, we've amended the claims to include more of, of the reasons of why we think the insurance company is responsible for not only paying what our clients are owed under the policy, but the punitive and the aggravated and the pain and suffering aspects of the claim as well. So Norm, I, I applaud you for contacting us and we're gonna get in touch after this show. And I wanna, I wanna say this to everyone out there. If you or a loved one or a friend if someone is dealing with an insurance company, somebody who's disabled, somebody who's been in an accident, if you are dealing with these insurance companies, with these Goliaths out there, don't be intimidated. Don't back down. Don't think that you don't have any power because you have a lot more power than you think you do. And I'm talking now not as just a lawyer who represents these individuals. I'm talking as a former defense lawyer, somebody who worked for insurance companies. I'll tell you, the most difficult claims that I had to resolve of on back then, years ago, on behalf of my insurance clients, were claims where not only the lawyer, but the individual and their family understood that they had certain legal rights that they could enforce against my client. Those were the most difficult because those ones, we couldn't simply you know, make go away. Those individuals, once they understood that they have the power to make the insurance companies pay, they had the power to stand up for their rights, to take it all the way if they needed to, those were the most expensive claims for my clients to pay. And this is what I want people to understand. You have a lot more power than you think you do. 
We'll give you the uh, number, Norm, because you already have the, the email address. Again, it's one 990 And for you as well, if you haven't uh, caught on already and we just talked about it, that would be the injury calculator at injurycalculator.ca. Just before we break, though, another thing that comes up, and, uh, and we should give it a little more attention, I guess, moving forward, that would be uh, fightformyltd.com, right? Yeah, fightformyltd.com, again, is a website we created, very, very simple website that has uh, five questions, five basic questions that you can answer if you, again, or a loved one or a friend, somebody is dealing with a long-term disability insurance company, you've been denied, you've been cut off, you don't want to call me, you don't want to call a lawyer, you're being bombarded by all these lawyer ads, well, fill in basic information on that form, it'll take you literally 10, 15 seconds, I get that email and I will tell you if I think you have a case or not against the insurance company. And I want to make sure people understand, if I think you don't have a case, if I think the insurance company justly refused your claim, denied your claim or cut you off, I will tell you that. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. You can go to another lawyer down the road who's going to tell you, yeah, 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 I'm going to try and do something for you. I don't work that way. All of my friends who still work for insurance companies, defense lawyers understand and know our reputation and they tell me that we have a very good reputation in the bar because they understand that if we represent someone, they know that it's because we believe in their case. So if you have a case, I will tell you that you have a case. Just like if I think that you have a problem with your case, I will tell you that you have a problem with your case. But here's the key, John. When you're finished your conversation with me or with one of my lawyers, you will know where you stand. You will know what your rights are and you will know, you will have the power to decide how you want to proceed with your case. Fightformyltd.com. Check it out. The number is well, one 990 And another email, we'll try to get to that. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1-888-990-9646. That is the number. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Do you find uh, in your practice that uh, psychologically-based disability claims get denied, say, more often than physically-based disability claims? And why is that? And how do you fight back for individuals who are Dis- uh, disabled because of those reasons, because you can't see it, smell it, touch it or anything, right? Well, that's exactly it. You just touched on it. And, and yes, the answer is yes. Generally, you find that insurance companies and people in general are more skeptical of psychologically based disability claims. And, and it really comes down to the fact that you can't see it. Human beings, you know, are, are uh, engineered. We, we are taught to believe what we see. And, you know, unfortunately, when it comes to to injuries and disabilities and illnesses, unless it's something that's recognized, uh, then we simply don't believe somebody that says, you know, we're skeptical. We're skeptical. If you tell me, John, that, you know, you have a migraine, I may believe you because I know you. But if I don't know you and you're telling me I can't come to work because I have a migraine as opposed to because you broke your knee and you can show me an x-ray, I'm more inclined to disbelieve the migraine and believe the x-ray that I can see. So how do we fight against that? Well, it comes down to educating, of course, the insurance companies and making sure that you know their, their adjusters understand that psychological-based injuries and disabilities can be as debilitating, if not more, than, than physical ones. And you know, as an individual who has gone through uh, uh, disability, psychological disability, you want to make sure that you get treatments, you want to make sure that you have people who are helping you, and you want to make sure that those individuals who are helping you whether it's a psychologist or a psychiatrist or whoever it is that's dealing with you, that they provide regular updates to the insurance adjuster, telling them, look, I've seen this person once a week, once every two weeks. Here are the progress notes. Here's my prognosis. 
you want to make sure that the insurance company really has all those records and has these reports. Why? Because insurance companies make decisions oftentimes based on paper. And if they don't have paper, this goes back to a point I've made at the beginning of the show. If they don't have paper, if you're not, if you haven't gone for treatments for over a year, then it looks like as though you are either not disabled or you're not helping yourself. Both of which are not good for you in terms of of your claim, both of which can result in your claim getting denied or you getting cut off disability. So you have to make sure that you go to treatments consistently and that your treatment providers provide documentation, ongoing documentation and reports to the insurance adjuster and tell the insurance uh, company that, you know, even though you are trying to get better, you are not able at this point to go back to work. You need to follow up, by the way, anytime with Savannah on any of these talking points or something you've heard this past hour. It's one 990 9646 and help at the as well. Sean gets the uh, the final email for the day. says, I am on LTD due to liver failure and I'm scheduled to have a transplant next month. At what point can my LTD insurer insist that I go back to work? Oh, boy. Well, Sean, I'm really sorry to hear about uh, the liver failure. I really hope that they can do something for you with the transplant. Uh, You know, the question of when can my LTD insurer force me to go back to work or can they even force me to go back is a question I get all the time. They can't. They cannot tell you you have to go to work. They simply can't. What's going to happen if if you don't? They They may cut you off but they can't actually physically force you to go back to work. What you should do if that happens, first of all, you should pick up the phone and call me or email me and I I will go through your situation because remember, every situation is specific on its facts. I, I may tell you what you need to do in your case, Sean, but for someone else, I may tell them something a bit different depending again on what's happening with them. In your case, what I suggest is that you make sure that you immediately get uh, your your surgeon or whoever is treating you, the specialist that's following you, immediately uh, email or write the adjuster telling them, here's what's coming up in terms of the transplant. Here's how much time they need to give you in order to figure out if the transplant takes or not, or if it's going to get rejected. Hopefully it won't. Uh, but you know, asking the insurance company f- for that time that you need to recover from the transplant and to figure out if you can go back to work within whatever, six months, three months, a year, whatever they say. You don't want the the doctor to say you can never work again because we don't know that at this point. And if your doctor says that to the insurance company, that's a bit unbelievable, right? Because we have no idea what the prognosis is at this point, presumably, with your transplant. But if your doctor tells the insurance adjuster, look, we need six months to a year to figure out if this person is able to go back to work at that time, and the adjuster, despite that information, cuts you off, I can tell you right now, we can start a legal claim immediately against the insurance company, and I almost guarantee you that they're going to come to the table begging for a settlement. The insurance company, not you. So again, make sure you give me a call. If anyone out there is in that situation where you are being forced or you feel like you're being forced to go back to work, remember this, you do not have to go back to work. The insurance company can cut you off, But this is why you want to call me now before this happens so that I can tell you what you can do in your specific situation to potentially avoid that very unfortunate event. 
Another good hour, my friend. We will uh, we'll, uh, we'll stop from there and continue on on our next show. In the meantime, then the uh, number to get a hold of Savannah and the rest of the team, use it, write it down, keep it, one 990 9646 Email simple as well, help at We talked about it earlier on today, and that is a way to find out what the pain and suffering of a uh, component should be, or pain and suffering component of a claim should be, and that is simply injurycalculator.ca and your LTD case assessment as well. Write this one down, fight for my ltd all one word dot com till next time this has been the insurance and injury law show global news radio 640 toronto